very good day to you all and welcome back to Sixes and Sevens, the football podcast brought to you by Investobet.com that covers all of the European football from the top five leagues. This week we are focusing on Liga and the Bundesliga, two of the leagues that we are yet to really dive into here on Sixes and Sevens. I'm delighted to say later on from Goal.com, Mr. Robin Berner will be joining myself to talk all things PSG, Monaco, Marseille, as French football is certainly relevant, particularly with the Champions League coming up and Paris Saint-Germain starting so well in their Champions League group without yet conceding a goal in their first three games, including that big 3-0 win against Bayern Munich in the group stage. But before we get into that, it's time for us to strap on the lederhosen, get a big stein of beer and talk all things Bundesliga. And I'm delighted to say joining us on the show this week to talk uh, is a man that I know. Uh, I've met a few times, I think it's fair to say, down at uh, covering the Football League, but he is a Bundesliga commentator, <laughs> presenter and expert, if I may say so myself. Mr. Dan O'Hagan joining me on the show. Dan, how you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Very well indeed. You were sorely missed around uh, the Football League this weekend, I have to say. But uh, pleasure to chat to you on a Monday as always, man. Um, you're you're always a busy boy. Uh, so we'll try not to keep you for too long. But we will dive straight into uh, Germany's top flight, which we've yet to really get into here on Sixes and Sevens. Um, and really, it's a, it's a top flight campaign that in the opening 10 games or so, it looks like we do have ourselves some sort of a title race going on for once. We do, yeah. I think Dortmund made a, a blistering start under Peter Bosch, uh, the new coach there. But they've just stumbled in the last maybe um, three or four games. Had a, a really poor result the weekend away to uh, New Boys Hanover 4-2, which was maybe the kind of biggest surprise result we've had so far in the Bundesliga this season. Um, and their stumbles have been to Bayern's gain. Obviously, with your Pinkers coming back in as coach, replacing Ancelotti. Um, they've kind of hit their stride again. So, yeah, neck and neck. And, of course, those two teams play each other next weekend in De Classica um, at Dortmund. So that'll be a great game as well. So, yeah, we do have maybe a title race. I think Leipzig are going to be strong as well again this season. So uh, it could be, fingers crossed, a, a three-horse race this season. Leipzig, of course, the most hated club in Germany, as it was for a, for a few years at least. Perhaps the uh, passions have died down slightly about that. Uh, but let's let's stay with Dortmund just for the moment then. What's changed in this Dortmund side that has been playing second fiddle for the last few seasons, really, to Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga and, and almost got this reputation as the selling club, if you will, uh, in, in the Bundesliga. They'd have plenty of quality coming through and they'd be shipped off around to uh, the best of the rest in Europe elsewhere. So what's changed this season? This season, I think it was key to keep hold of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, 31 goals last season, um, a talisman. Uh, he leads the team on the field, um, always has a smile on his face, um, a kind of player the whole club can focus on and, uh, and rally around almost. And to keep him in the face of interest from, we, we heard what, Chelsea, uh, Real Madrid, to, to keep him was crucial. And he's already got 10 goals to his name this season again as well. So keeping hold of him was important. And also how they handled the Usman Dembele thing, because obviously he was sold for, for massive money to Barcelona. And um, that could have derailed many clubs, that whole transfer circus. He was suspended by the club for his behaviour over how he forced that move through. I thought Dortmund handled that pretty well. So um, to keep Aubameyang and to keep on top of the, of, of the kind of transfer melting pot as well was, was important. And um, yeah, they've, um, they've begun the season well. Um, I think the change of coach, it's not really changed the system and the style too much. But I think uh, Peter Bosch is more of a kind of coach who will not ruffle feathers like um, Thomas Tuchel did 
with some of the senior players last season. So, um, yeah, they, they look good. But as I say, this last maybe three or four games, they've had a slight wobble. Um, their European form has been pretty poor in the Champions League as well. And, um, yeah, one or two drop points in games, you wouldn't have thought they'd drop points in the Bundesliga as well. It's interesting how so many of these players go back to Dortmund as well. When you look at look at Goethe, who's had his mm. uh, time away and come back. Uh, you look at Sahin, um, who's, who's stuck around. Kagawa, of course, went off to Manchester United and has come back. And uh, they've been able to add Andre Schürrle as well this season. On, on paper, it, it looks like a side that's built to last for a title race. Yeah, I think the average age of the squad is very, very young for a club in their position. Um and it's a big squad as well. You mentioned Andre Schurler, who didn't play much last season. Hadn't, you know, he's, he, I think he was injured in the first cup game this season as well. Um, so they do have a big squad. Uh, you mentioned Nuri Shaheen, who was almost frozen out under Thomas Tuchel, but has been given a, a much more central role and a new contract um, since the change of coach. And he's thriving again. Shinji Kagawa is a terrific squad player you mentioned there. And uh, yeah, you look around that team and yeah, it's, it, it's looking good. Um, and also what they do is they is they have this wonderful way of finding young players who go on to be great, great acquisitions. Uh, this season, Dan Axel Zagadou, who was sent off at the weekend, but he came in from PSG's junior teams. Obviously, Jaden Sancho from uh, England's Manchester City as well, who's come in and has um, just come back after uh, he played the group stage of the Under-17 World Cup, came home after that and has now become uh, a part of the first team squad as well. So their scouting and their recruitment has been excellent for several years now. But they are, as you say, they're a club that will sell. So you look at Zagadou and Sancho, and if they were to have really good first seasons, would they be at Dortmund next season? Um, it's, it's odd because they're a club who have gates of 80,000 fans every home game, and yet they seem to be a team that will forever be selling. Uh-huh. And um, I think to really challenge Bayern, they've got to look to build a team that will be there for two, three, four years without those massive changes we see at Dortmund every single summer. And a team that not so long ago was squaring off against Bayern, of course, at Wembley in, in the Champions League. I mean, it, it still just seems odd how the long story of Dortmund, it's been built kind of from the ground up once again. They let, relayed the foundations, what, five, six years ago, I think mm. you could now say, and, and have turned it back into a power in German football. But it's almost like doing it the right way you still can't quite complete that bridging of the gap with, with Bayern Munich and the side that kind of has all the money and the glamour around it. No, I mean, Bayern are incredibly strong. We know that. They had their wobble this season uh, under Ancelotti, of course. But, you know, to break the Bayern dominance, they've you know been so strong now for so many years in Germany. Um, to break that domination is difficult, especially when you are a club that will year in, year out, have to sell players or choose to sell players and, and keep that player churn going. So, yeah, we just hope this year will be a, a proper title race. I'm looking forward to the game at the weekend. I'm going to Dortmund for the Classica, which will be an amazing um, uh, game to go and see. And if they were able to beat Bayern and get back on level pegging in terms of points, we'll see as we head towards, you know, the, the kind of halfway mark of the, the season around Christmas time. So, yeah, fingers crossed we're going to have a title race. But, um, yeah, both teams um, have had their wobbles so far this season, Dortmund and Bayern. Uh, Dortmund as well. Um, excuse me, sorry, Bayern Munich as well. Sorry, uh, welcoming back this year and for the last month or so, Jupp Heynckes, uh, a man who was beloved um, by the club, of course, left in uh, 2013 after providing the treble for Bayern Munich and Pep Guardiola took over. So much expectation around him. It didn't really pan out. Ancelotti as well, as you mentioned, has had his, his wobble this season and is mm. now gone. And, and Heynckes back in the mainframe. And uh, I mean, 
welcome back with open arms and not a bad first month either for him. No, I think he is the archetypal safe pair of hands as well, isn't he? Obviously knows the club, knows the politics too. At Bayern, you have to know how to play the big beasts, the Karl-Hans Rummenigge's, the Uli Hoeneß's. You have to know how to play those men above you. And obviously Heinkes does. I think Ancelotti's style when he came in, he was so different to Guardiola, who had a very structured approach to, to, to tactics and to training. And Ancelotti was much more laissez-faire. I think the players couldn't adapt to it. The club as well, the hierarchy, couldn't really see how a coach who, was, who wasn't hands-on enough in their eyes could achieve the same success. And of course, he was brought in last year to win the Champions League, and they didn't. Um, so obviously, Heinkes has come back the man who won the, the treble in his last season back in 2013. Um, and yeah, safe pair of hands. He's had a great start so far. They've won every league game they've played under him uh, without a single goal against them as well. Um, so um, yeah, I think Heinkes has got them back on track after a, a sticky spell. That defeat in Paris, I think, against PSG, uh, which was Ancelotti's last game, was a, a real wake-up call for Bayern because they'd not played well. Although, although they'd done okay in the league before then, uh, this season, the performances hadn't been convincing at all. I was there on the first day of the season when they beat Leverkusen 3-1, and that could have been 3-3 or even 4-3 by Le- Leverkusen. So, yeah, it's um, I think Heinkes has got them focused again. He knows how to, how to play the club. He's a Bayern man, and the results have been great so far. Somebody who Bayern have brought in this season, James Rodriguez, of mm. course, was rather frustrated at his time in Madrid and felt he wasn't getting enough game time and not getting the starts he wanted, and... A great performance on the weekend under Heinkes uh, against RB Leipzig, of course. Um, the second time in as many games that they've met RB Leipzig and beaten them both occasions. How's Hammers fitting in in Germany? Because some saw it as a sideways move rather than a step down from Real Madrid. It's not bad being loaned out to Bayern Munich if you're struggling mm. for performances in La Liga's top flight. Yeah, he's on a two-year loan. Um, I saw his first start, which was against Schalke, when uh, they won 3-0. He scored an amazing goal and put in a gorgeous assist for a goal for Arturo Vidal. But he struggled for game time um, under Ancelotti, certainly. Uh, we'll see under Heinkes if he gets more of a central role. But Bayern in that attacking third have so much talent and, and ability and, and, and numbers. You look at uh, Coleman, um, Arjen Robin, Ribery's out for, for, the, for the season, we know. But obviously Thomas Müller can play all those positions across the, um, the front areas. So how much game time will Hammers get? We'll have to see. But... Um, yeah, he's a player with undoubted world-class ability. And um, on his day, as you say, had a great game at the weekend um, against uh, Leipzig. So, yeah, we, we know he's a good player, but I just don't see how he'll get that much game time at Bayern this season. But um, maybe I'll, be, I'll, I'll get proved wrong. Is Heinkers the kind of manager down the line that's going to find a set 11 and have a starting 11? Or is he going to use a rotation policy to keep everybody happy? How, how's he going to operate? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They do have a big squad and it is keeping players happy. Uh, we saw Kingsley Coman, for example, in his first season, played lots of games under Guardiola. Under Ancelotti, was, was very much a fringe player last season. So will Heinkes be a man to have a, a settled 11? I think what is key as well is trying to find a role which gets the best from Thomas Muller again, because under Guardiola, he really thrived, but took a massive backward step. I think he only got five goals last season, which was his lowest for ever since he came into the first team. Um, okay, I think he made the most assists in the team, but it's getting Thomas Muller into positions where he can damage teams. And obviously a player that I think Heinkes knows well from his first spell. And maybe he can build a settled team around him because we know Muller's got undoubted ability, but 
the last coach couldn't find a role for him or a position which got the best from him. So, um, yeah, well, we'll see how Heinkes goes with his team selections. But that Thomas Muller problem and solving that is, I think, key for, for Bayern's success this season. Has, um, just finally on Heinkes, because I, I could spend all day talking about him and asking questions about him, Dan. But with five uh, domestic uh, titles now in the bag in a row for Bayern, is, has this been a move to bring in another Champions League trophy? Has that been the main aim? of bringing back your Pinkers? I think it was about stability. Um, they obviously brought in Ancelotti to win the Champions League because he's won it three times before. And they thought, you know, obviously we want to get back to the top table in Europe. And that didn't work for them. I think Heinkes was brought in to, to really save a season because there were signs it was going off, off the rails under Ancelotti. It was an, an unhappy club and an unhappy um, relationship between coach and hierarchy. So I think Heinkes was brought in to be that kind of calming hand. And obviously he, he's won the trophy before with the Champions League. But I don't think that's their focus right now. Their focus right now is to just get the season back on an even keel, which they've done already in the space of what four or five games under Heinkes. But um, I think it's early days to be saying you know, they're going to be a contender in Europe. We've seen, obviously, PSG look terrific in the Champions League this season um, in Bayern's group. And it's going to be tough for them to you know, win the trophy with teams like that around. But um, I think Heinkes, as I say, was brought in for me first and foremost to be that kind of safe pair of hands to, to make sure the season didn't kind of spiral away out of control. Bayern Munich uh, away at Celtic on Tuesday night in the Champions League. You can get on to investobet.com for offers on that game. Of course, it could be a tough night for Celtic. Uh, that one with the way Bayern have suddenly rejuvenated themselves under uh, Jupp Heinkes. Let's talk about RB Leipzig then, because they were a side, of course, that hogged the headlines as this up-and-coming team that, uh, that almost kind of bought their way into the Bundesliga, some were saying. In terms of how they've set their stall out for this season... It was kind of in the transfer window that you really noticed that they're sticking with the young guns that they're trying to bring in. They're trying to bring in young, exciting players. You look at uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin, you look at Bruma, who's been brought in as well. They spent good money. And really, Kevin Campbell, their oldest signing at just 26 mm. years of age. They're, they're going for kind of youthful exuberance, if you will. Yeah, and that's what they've done for, for, for years now. You look at players who've been around like Marcel Zabitzer and Nabi Keita, you know, these are players who were signed at a very young age. And even now, the average age, I think the oldest outfield player in the squad is Marvin Komper, who's 32. And he has barely played this season. So it's amazing what what they've done. They've, you know, and OK, you can say they bought the way in and they did. And yeah, the fans didn't like them. But I think they won a lot of fans over last season by the way they play. They are terrific to watch. Um, their attacking movement is terrific. Um, they play some lovely stuff. And as I say, this focus on youth exuberance, they signed, obviously, last season players uh, like Dayo Upamakana, who was 18 at the time, and he went straight into the team. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting way of doing things. And OK, you can argue about the fact that they've you know, effectively bought their place at the top table now. But I think the way they play has won lots of fans over um, in Germany and elsewhere. And uh, I, for one, love watching Leipzig games because they play terrific football. With uh, with ten games to go on and only four points off top spot in in the Bundesliga, I mean, what's the what's the glass ceiling, if you will, on this uh, RB Leipzig side? Are, are they one that we do need to recognise as being right in there in the title chase, or does that perhaps youth and inexperience mean that it's likely that they're going to fall short in, in sort of the long run of the Bundesliga season? I think yeah, they've. I think every time they've played Bayern now, they've lost. I did the remarkable game last season when. 
from four and up, they lost five four back in May at home to them. Um, and this season, obviously, you mentioned earlier, they've played them twice and lost twice in the space of a few days. So I think in terms of title challenges, they're still some way short. I think certainly top four is attainable easily again for them. Um, they have the resources to spend, of course, in the winter window when that comes around in a few weeks' time. And, yeah, we know they're going to lose Naby Keita at the end of the season to Liverpool, but Kevin Campbell will be obviously his longer-term successor in the midfield. And, um, yeah, I think a title bid is still some way away, maybe three or four years away, but the way they're building, and if they can keep that young nucleus together, then maybe in a few years' time they will be up there to challenge Dortmund and Bayern far more closely. Let's look a little further down the table then, because there's uh, there's a few names that even those who don't follow the Bundesliga religiously will recognise as being slightly worrying for them to be down so far in the depths towards the relegations. Oh, you look at Werder Bremen, of course, in 17th. You look at Wolfsburg as well, who have brought through plenty of players in the last few years, and uh, they're down in 14th at the moment. Struggling starts of the campaign for both of them. Um, and, and in particular, Werder Bremen, without a victory this season as well, it's pretty worrying times for them. Yeah, I've seen them twice in the last couple of weeks. I did their goalless derby draw um, with Hamburg, and I saw them also draw with um, the bottom team, Cologne, last weekend as well, both goalless draws. And yeah, they've scored three goals all season in 10 games, which is a terrifying stat. Um, they've brought in Ishak Belfadil to be their main striker. It's not really worked. He's not scored a goal for them yet. Um, and yeah, they, they, they had a near miss last season. They and Hamburg have been two clubs who flirted now with relegation for so many years. And you yeah. kind of feel that it's a situation where they almost need to go down to kind of clear the decks and start again because what they're doing now isn't working. They've had Alexander Nuri now as their coach for, I think, a year since they um, replaced uh, Victor Skripnik. And, OK, they survived. I think it was eighth place last season. They survived in the end with, with ease. But um, it's been, a, you know, 10 games winless is a long time. That's almost a third of, of the season gone. Mm. And they've not won a single game. Five draws they've got this season only. So um, worrying times for a, a big club. And, um, yeah, it's... It's been coming, I think, for several years now. This hasn't come out of nowhere. But um, that lack of goals, I think, is going to be a real, real problem because you can't see in their team right now where the goals are coming from. Always seems to be just one of the big sides in the Bundesliga that that ends up struggling slightly. And, and there's this discussion about, you do, do you need to go down to get back up again? Do they need to complete a, a re, restart, re-hit the uh, reset button, if you will? I mean, Schalke a few years ago. Uh, we have seen Wolfsburg down towards the uh, bottom end of the table at mm. times as well. What is it about German football that just kind of forces these rebuilding elements that need to take place for some of the big sides every so often? It does. You know, you mentioned Dortmund, I think, um, under Jurgen Klopp in his last season. They were bottom for a, a long spell that season um, in his final campaign in charge. And yeah, it's just a situation where it happens in all leagues. You know, big clubs get into that rut. You think of Sunderland, for example. They just kind of need to go down, maybe have two relegations before they before the kind of penny drops and they realise they have to make big changes. Um, but I think Hamburg are the one for me. They're in the relegation playoff place now and they've never gone down. They're the only team who've never gone down for the Bundesliga. And they've, I think, escaped two playoffs in the last three or four seasons. And again, were close last campaign as well. And this season, I think they and Werder Bremen and Cologne, three big clubs, are all in wretched trouble at the moment. And um, yeah, some big names down there uh, towards the bottom. Well, I think some people might say that Sunderland uh, could even go further than two relegations, uh, the way they've been playing in the championship this season. Uh, last one, very quickly. Is it must win for Dortmund against Apoel? I mean, this Champions League campaign has really gone off the rails quite quickly for them. Oh yeah, it's vital. I think um, 
okay, they were in a tough group there with Spurs and Real Madrid. But um, yeah, I think it's been it's been a below par campaign, to put it mildly. I think they'd have hoped for obviously more points on on the board by now. But um, yeah, I'm at a loss to explain it because we know they have such great attacking players, Aubameyang, and uh, certainly um, you wonder why they've not done better. Um, they'll get Marco Royce back from injury in the new year, but obviously it could be too late in Europe by then, in the Champions League anyway. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised they've had the struggles they have in Europe. But, um, yeah, Applewell is must-win for them. And if they don't, well, that's it, isn't it? Dan, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Really appreciate you uh, joining us on the show today to bounce around the Bundesliga with me and kind of guide me by the hand uh, around Germany's top fly, mate. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thanks very much. Dan O'Hagan, you can find on Twitter at Dan O'Hagan, all one word, all lowercase, at Dan O'Hagan. We'll be back in just a moment here on Sixes and Sevens, but when we return, it's time to get into all things French football with Mr. Robin Berner of Goal.com. You're listening to Sixes and Sevens, the weekly football podcast by Investabet. Yeah, Dan O'Hagan there talking about the Bundesliga, but we can't just talk about German football today. Uh, we should dive into Ligue 1 as well in France. It's somewhere we haven't been yet on sixes and sevens, but I'm delighted to say to guide us through the murky waters of all things French football uh, is somebody I know very well. Mr. Robin Berner of Gold.com, French football correspondent for the site and a real expert on all things Ligue 1. Robin, pleasure to chat with you again, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, Ollie. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. It has been a rather long time since we last spoke and um, probably quite a few changes since we last spoke about French football with the rise of Monaco last year and now the pilfering of their squad and so much talent leaving, but they're still trying to make a title race out of it this season. Only four points off PSG, who haven't been perfect to start the campaign. No, that's right. Um, I think quite a lot has been made of... of how much how much quality has gone from the Monaco squads since the summer? Um, they've actually made a better start this season than they did last season, which is, is quite surprising because to a lot of people their their football has not been as fluent. Um, they've not been nearly as nice to watch. Uh, they've they've kind of been uh, sort of feeling their way through games as opposed to, to blitzing opponents away like they were doing at times last season. But you know that they're still picking up results here and well, I say here and there, but the. They're obviously winning, you know, fairly regularly. Uh, there have been some pretty, pretty significant hiccups. Um, they lost the the derby, four one against Nice, for example. Um, but equally, they did exactly the same at the start of last season as well. So, you know, they're actually ahead of where they were last season, and it, it, it's, it's PSG's form that's that's really sort of transformed the league. I know you said that there's been a couple of hiccups, but. Um, I think if you compare PSG's form at the start of this season to how it was at the start of last season, it's, it's really been night and day. Um, at the start of last season, they, they were just getting used to Unai Emery's system. He was he had just come into the Parc des Princes. Uh, he was uh, a new coach for them, but he's kind of settled in for a year now. Uh, the players look a lot more um, understanding of what he, he's been trying to do. Um, and they've actually performed very well. It's been PSG who have been blowing opponents away in general. Although, as you say, there have been a couple of hiccups. Uh, they, they recently drew 0-0 against Montpellier. And they were also quite lucky to to draw against Marseille a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's that's their big match. That's their big rivalry in France. Um, and it, it required a, a late Edison Cavani free kick 
to, to save a point for them in that game. And that was, of course, after Neymar was sent off. Um, so they, they missed him at the weekend. But, you know, they still came through very strongly last weekend. They won uh, 3-0. And, you know, they look like they're likely to be champions. Yeah, Edinson Cavani with the brace. And, of course, as you say, that free kick in uh, Le Classique. It was a fantastic set piece as well. I saw that from the uh, from the Uruguayan. You would expect Paris Saint-Germain to be batting away anybody that comes near them, particularly domestically, with the amount of money they spent, of course, with Neymar coming in. And that was the main headline transfer, of course, and Bappe as well, joining up with this side. Uh, we have, of course, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was the big penalty controversy, which, I mean, I don't know how much controversy there really actually was behind the scenes at PSG about it. The rumours of uh, Cavani was being offered horrendous amounts of money to not take penalties, etc. But do you get the feeling that, regardless of that, it's all gelling very nicely with the new arrivals that have come in? Because there's always that element of, you know, we saw Cavani had to play out a position when Zlatan was there. Now, Neymar wants to be the star man. That's perhaps one of the reasons why he left Barcelona. But it's not got to a, a tipping point of any causing any problems just yet that sort of big egos and big names in a side uh, it's an interesting question um, I think on the field it's not really caused any problems as yet um, the front three seem to be performing relatively well together Neymar Cavani and obviously Kylian Mbappe however I think behind the scenes there is there's quite a lot of friction and it. it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the next few months um you know the the whole penalty incident seems to have caused a lot of a lot of bother in the whole squad, and uh, apparently there's um, a lot of ill feeling against Neymar, which is really the last thing that PSG can afford at this stage of the season. And, and to be honest, with the whole project, Neymar is so central to it. They need him to to come in and, and be their star man for for years to come, really. And if he's not going to gel with the squad, that's going to be a major problem. We've not seen a, an issue on the field as yet. As I say, he's he's still playing well. In general, um, there was that incident in Marseille, of course, where he was sent off, perhaps a little bit harshly. However, uh, he still scored seven goals in the league and he's, he's been linking relatively well with Edinson Cavani. Uh, the relationship on the field doesn't seem to be too bad, but away from it, I think there could be issues. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the long-term ramifications of that are at PSG. Do you almost feel a little sorry for Cavani? Because he waited so long behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic to become that focal point of the attack, to become maybe the, the face of Paris Saint-Germain and the project that they are building at the moment with the uh, tremendous amounts of money they're willing to spend. Uh, and then suddenly to have that taken away in the blink of an eye with Neymar coming in. And it's it's almost like being the stepchild, if you will, to uh, to, to the new the new arrival, the new baby that that's born between the parents, kind of thing of the of the owners and and manager. Suddenly, they want that to be their star man. Yeah, I think it's quite understandable that Cavani might feel a little bit um, kind of pushed to the periphery of things a little bit. But I think I think you know he would have to accept that if he's going to be at a top European club, that's going to be a team that's going to really have ambitions of winning the Champions League he's possibly not going to be the spearhead for that. I mean, while he's a fine striker and scores a lot of goals, he needs people around him to supply him with, with chances. And he's, he's he's got a very bad habit of missing big chances and big matches. Mm. So I, I think there's a feeling that, you know, he's not somebody that PSG can necessarily rely upon to become a Champions League winner for them. They need somebody who's a level above a, a superstar. So you're looking at somebody like a Neymar, or a Kylian Mbappe, and and to be honest, there's probably only a handful of these players in the world 
so when they're at a squad, they really have to be they have to be respected. Um, and I think that's that's the problem he's got at the moment. Uh, you know, for sure, he's paid his dues in Paris. He's worked exceptionally hard. He, he did so much. Uh, so much work on the wing in terms of defensive work that he wouldn't have wanted to do when when Ibrahimovic was there, and he got his chance last season, scored around the goal a game, but sometimes it's just not enough. Uh, and I think Paris Saint Germain, after after they lost against Barcelona, appreciated that they needed a superstar, went out in the summer and bought their superstar in, in Neymar, and unfortunately Cavani's again the man to suffer. It's um, it's it's difficult as well for an Iemre just off that front line, if you will, or even just surrounding Cavani because they've got a plethora of options. They brought in Draxler last January. They've got Angel Di Maria, who almost like Cavani, I think misses a lot of chances. It seems, and and perhaps if he took half as many as he does, and he gets uh, twice as many as anybody else a lot of the time coming in from the flanks, you know, PSG could have romped away with the league title last year and, uh, and and might have a few more goals in the bag this season as well. Uh, but you've got Neymar in there now, Mbappe, um, Pastore, who's often moved out to the flanks. There are so many options around and Unai Emery's got a real job on his hands of making sure almost that PSG stay in every competition just to make sure that everybody gets game time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be one of his his major problems this season. And I think it's probably inevitable that somebody's going to have to make way in, in January. Maybe maybe somebody like a Pastore who's not played very much, who's suffered from a, a few injury problems this season. Um, perhaps a Di Maria. You know, there's going to be some good players probably available from from Paris in, in January simply because they're not going to get the game time that, that they hope they can get. Uh, simply because there is so much quality in the squad. Uh, Emery's tried to to rotate to some extent this season, but. You know he's under pressure to win every single match. Um, obviously, players like Mbappe and Neymar, who have been brought for such big fees, expect to play in every game. Cavani's their only, I suppose, he's their most natural centre forward. He can't be dropped because he's scoring every week. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be a, going to be a huge amount of competition for places in the weeks ahead. And absolutely, PSG need to stay in absolutely every single competition to to kind of satisfy the demand of of all of their players. Just just finally on Paris Saint-Germain, um, the Ligue 1 leaders, uh, listening to 6s and 7s with Robin Berner, French football expert, and he's going to give us a little shout about what's happening between the posts as well because Alphonse Ariola has come in this season and really taken the starting job now, the young keeper. They spent a lot of money on Kevin Trapp and it certainly hasn't worked out how they wanted it to have done with him. Has he got a chance at all of getting back between the posts? He's so liable, it seems, to these mistakes and is it time perhaps then that maybe he needs to be moved on in January because he's a high-quality keeper who has mistakes in him, yes, but he can't be sat on the bench for his career uh, if he wants to uh, continue kind of progressing, learning and improving in his trade. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, last season, there was a lot of toing and froing as to who would, who would keep goal for PSG. Um, Ariola kept goal for spells and Trap kept goals for spells. Both of them were kind of prone to making mistakes. However, this season, uh, a lot of confidence has been put in Ariola. He's started um, the vast majority of games, and he's actually looked very, very solid. He's 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 made a couple of mistakes, uh, or perhaps not mistakes. That would be a little bit harsh. But there's been a couple of situations where he, he could have done better. Uh, one that springs to mind: uh, the Luis Gustavo opening goal. 
in the Classique a couple of weeks ago when PSG played Marseille. Um, but in general, he's looked a, a pretty solid keeper. He's commanded his box very well. He, he seems to have a good relationship with the defence, which is obviously very important. And it seems like he's going to be the goalkeeper for the season. It would it would take quite a dramatic turnaround for anything else to happen there. Um, so yeah, traps in a lot of a lot of trouble at the moment. Um, you know, he's a goalkeeper who probably would have twelve months ago had his eye on going to the World Cup with Germany next year. And I think if there's going to be any chance of that happening, he's going to have to leave in in January. Whether that's a loan deal or a permanent deal, uh, that's that's really going to be up to him and up to PSG, of course, because they're probably going to need to sign a replacement reserve keeper. Um, but yeah, if he's wanting to, to really progress his career, he has to move on and, and get regular football, perhaps somewhere where mistakes aren't going to come under quite as much scrutiny as they, as they might at PSG. Now, talking of uh, January departures, uh, somebody who was meant to leave perhaps in mm. August for uh, French football, Thomas Lemar at, uh, at Monaco. Monaco able to keep hold of him, despite the interest particularly from Arsenal, was strongly linked with. Uh, and also able to bring in somebody like Yuri Tillemont from, uh, from Anderlecht, the young Belgian, who very neat, creative little player in the heart of the pitch to, to sit alongside uh, Fabinho uh, in the heart of the Monaco midfield. Um, do we expect there to be departures in January or have Monaco kind of got their house in order now and, and the players they've been able to keep hold of despite the interest from other bigger sides perhaps around Europe are going to be with them at least for this season? Uh, and also uh, a touch on Tillemont as coming in to be the the next focal point of, of Monaco's attacks, you know, to kind of replace Jao Moutinho slightly and to, uh, and to kind of be developed into the next star at Monaco. Yeah, uh, Monaco's situation is quite interesting because obviously they won the league last season and they offloaded more players than they might have wanted in the summer. Um, <clears throat> uh, last summer, they went, they went into, the, into the summer suggesting that they would only lose two, three, possibly four players at the most. Um, and they certainly didn't expect to lose Mbappe. I think the evidence of that was uh, they allowed Valère-Germain to go to, to Marseille for a relatively cheap price. Um, I think if they had expected to lose Mbappe, they would have kept Germain at all costs because he linked so well with Falcao last year in the early part of last year before Mbappe was before the Mbappe phenomenon really took off. Mm. Uh, so I, I I think they were effectively forced into selling Mbappe simply because PSG had offered them so much money, probably well in excess of of what they thought was possible to get for him. So I, I don't think they had planned for that departure at, at all. Um, obviously, the other the other moves, uh, Bernardo Silva and uh, Bakayoko, were, were far more predictable. And that's part of the reason that they brought Tielemans in. Um, he's He's been a little bit disappointing so far, I think. But he's been used in a sort of more advanced midfield role than he was used to at Anderlecht. And I... He's not really looked entirely comfortable there. He's 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 actually tended to look a little bit better, being used in a sort of more withdrawn uh, role, just in front of the defence, playing in a four uh, four two three one. Um, so Monaco have switched to that formation over the last couple of weeks. He's looked more comfortable there. He's looked much more like the star man that he was kind of expected to be when he arrived. Uh, so there's there's a bright future for him there. Um, but I think overall his performance at Monaco so far has been disappointing, albeit it's very early days for him. Uh, I think especially for such a young player, 
it's going to take time for him to, to settle in, especially into a squad that's perhaps not as confident as it might have been 12 months ago. On Thomas Lamar, I would be surprised if Monaco allowed him to go simply because, you know, there's no financial imperative for them to sign. Mm. They've made this huge, huge, huge profit in the summer. Uh, so the, there's simply no need for them to, to offload one of their best players, particularly if they're still going to be challenging for either the title, which is what they would hope, or a Champions League spot, which is what they would expect. Uh, so I would be surprised if Lamar was to go to Arsenal in the summer. However, I would be surprised if he wasn't to move. Sorry, I'd be surprised if he was to move in January, but I would be very surprised if he wasn't to move next summer. Yeah, nice. Uh, 160 million added to the Monaco bank account uh, with the departures. You mentioned Germain, who's gone to uh, Marseille for 7 million and actually started quite well at Marseille, who are becoming a, a relevant side in French football once again after a bit of time in the wilderness. No longer is uh, Stephen Fletcher trying to apply a trade down on the south coast or Joey Barton, and instead, there's some quite exciting talent coming through uh, at uh, Olympic Marseille. Uh, Germain started well, of course, slightly more experienced, but Lucas Ocampos, the Argentinian, doing all right. Clinton and Jay, of course, formerly of Tottenham Hotspur, uh, started with five goals as well this season. And and it's nice in French football to see Marseille becoming relevant once again after they've had so much off-the-field trouble with, with owners uh, and fans being frustrated at the side. And, of course, they've redeveloped the velodrome that's now one of the best-looking grounds in Europe. Yeah, Marseille is a, a really great club. Um, the fans are there are are just incredible. Uh, and if you go to the velo, if you go to the velodrome and it's full and atmospheric, it's there's really nowhere nowhere else like it in, in the world of football. It's it's really one of the great venues to visit. So yeah, it's good to see Marseille back up and, and challenging for a Champions League spot. They've not played great football yet this season. Um, they've been a little bit patchy, although. There are signs of them starting to to, to knit together and, and to look a, a little bit more uh, cohesive. They're up to fourth in the league now, which I think, considering how the, the sort of mediocrity of the football that they were playing at the start of the season is quite impressive. Over the last month, they've they've improved dramatically. Um, they've beaten Nice, they beat uh, Lille yesterday on Sunday, and they also drew to each with Paris Saint Germain, which was a, a sort of milestone achievement for them because. They actually outplayed PSG uh, at home and it looked like they were going to win for a, a significant portion of the game. Uh, they probably deserved to win. So they'll have taken a lot of confidence from that. They've been going well in Europe as well. And obviously, as you say, they've got all these exciting young or relatively young players now coming through and, and starting to to reach their potential. Uh, one man you didn't mention there was Florian Tovin, who was a huge flop at Newcastle, but has come back to France and and it is actually looking like the player who who many of the French people hoped could be a, a superstar. And I don't think he's going to become a superstar, of course. But he's certainly a very dangerous winger and, and somebody who's really great to watch on his day. And I, I think he kind of typifies the sort of boom and bust of, of Marseille as a club. Uh, you know, they go from, from incredible highs to, to, to great lows very, very quickly. So although they're fourth in the league, I don't think I would be uh, quite quite counting on a renaissance there yet. 
uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very much a place where some players can go to rejuvenate their careers. And you look at you know the arrival of Mitroglou, the uh, former Olympiacos, and uh, coming in from Benfica centre forward. Uh, you look at Remy Cabello, who's gone back there. Of course, Dimitri Payet wanted to leave and has returned from. Uh, from West Ham, Jordan and Marvey trying to play his trade there. When you look yep. down this squad, there's so many recognisable names and uh, it's a mixture of young and old that might just might just help the younger players coming through kind of learn and develop off, off the wiser heads in that side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're looking at sort of older heads, you're probably looking at Patrice Evra more than anybody else. Um you know, there are lots of experienced players there. However, I think there's also a feeling that there's there's players who are perhaps a little bit over the hill um, and, and Evra would be one of those. He's struggled when he's played in league on this season. Uh, last night he was he was lucky not to be sent off in the first half for two bookings. Um, but absolutely, you, you're looking at their influence away from the field and the, um, what they can transmit to those players around them. Uh, so Evra can obviously teach Jordan Amavi a, a huge amount of... A, of everything he knows, he, everything he's learned in the game, he's he's won so much. Um, and there's there's several players like that, like Luis Gustavo in midfield, another one who's who's been excellent for them. Um, but they really need some of these older guys to uh, to contribute positively in a playing sense as well as as away from the field. Robin, a pleasure to chat all things league on with you. I'm sure we'll be checking in at some point soon uh, with a look ahead to. The rest of the season in France's top flight and, of course, Paris Saint-Germain and Monaco involved in the Champions League and PSG, uh, one of the favourites, considering their start and that 3-0 win against Bayern Munich to uh, perhaps go all the way finally this season and get some European glory. But really appreciate you t- taking the time to join us today, mate. No problem, my pleasure. Cheers. Thanks very much. Robin Berner joining us here on Sixes and Sevens to talk all things Ligue 1. And it's definitely becoming a exciting league to watch once again with PSG just four points ahead of Monaco. First and second, those two. Lyon in third, fourth, Marseille. Nantes under Claudio Ranieri uh, in fifth, down towards the bottom. Lille really struggling this season. It's a shame to see a big name like them. As Nice as well, of course, with the third team in the title race for the last few years. Down in 16th, poor start for them. Just 10 points from their opening 11 games in France's top flight. Of course, it got underway a little earlier than most of the other European leagues this season. That's it for Sixes and Sevens this week. A massive thanks to Robin once again and, of course, to Dan O'Hagan for joining us and talking all things Bundesliga. Remember to get on investobet.com for all of your chances to win big with the Champions League this week and of course the European domestic campaigns continuing next weekend as well uh, we'll be back in seven days time in the meantime before we return get on to investobet.com get on to our Twitter account investobet at investobet and of course IB football at IB football our dedicated investobet football twitter account in the meantime you can get onto soundcloud and itunes and like and review rate the podcast sixes and sevens will return in seven days time until then enjoy all the football it's coming thick and fast and a thrilling midweek of champions league is on its way have a good one 